namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Udam Dhammang Sangam Namasam So today is the seventh day of us practicing Dhamma together, having started on December 10th. So today being the seventh day, there's two days left. So the time that's passed by already should be sufficient to have gotten some flavor, some taste of the Dhamma. Because in this practice of Dhamma, we develop our minds to be higher and better. And we see that in the world, people in the world have greed, aversion, and delusion in their minds. And in one who practices Dhamma has a mind that's joyful, radiant, and wholesome. But one has to be careful when one gathers with other people even with uh, family or loved ones, because other people, their minds can be filled with kilesa, filled with defilement, and this can give rise to suffering. So we have to train our minds not to fall into liking or disliking, to associate with people who have virtue. And when we associate with virtuous people, we can have liking for that, Sometimes we have to meet with people that lack virtue. But we have to let go of any disliking in the mind that might arise on that occasion to cultivate loving-kindness, compassion, a heart of sympathy. So we see that it's a mind that has ignorance, craving, and attachment. So we have sympathy and compassion for that. And see that there is... Minds like this are a great number in the world. And when we have goodness already, then we're called a kalyana chana, one who has a beautiful mind. And if a mind has a lot of defilement, follows those defilements, the energy of the defilements is strong, they have a lot of strength, and they take the mind to follow it, to behave wrongly in body and speech. So if it's like this, then know that it's like this. This is called a putojana, one with thick defilements. This is something that's dangerous. It's a mind that lacks patient endurance, lacks mindfulness and awareness. And a mind like this is capable of great harm and destruction even killing the lives of other beings. We see that people born in the present day, they have less patient endurance than before. We see that the world's developed and progressed materially. We have more convenience and more ease, for instance, with regard to travel. Before, travel was quite difficult. We'd have to go in a boat, take a very long time, perhaps months or even a whole year, 
For instance, to go from Thailand to France would take a long time. One would have to pass over many obstacles to reach one's goal. And now to travel all over the world is a lot faster. It's much more convenient. But we have this kind of convenience like this, and we can ask, well, does it bring the mind to have right view? Does it bring the mind to have right knowledge? Does this convenience and ease help the mind to be free of suffering? We see that with this ease and convenience, the mind can grow attached to it. There's also some people that grow weary of this condition. They see that it lacks essence, lacks true value, and so they seek a way out. But they don't know the right way out. They don't know how to escape. And perhaps someone like that, they like nature. They have an affinity for nature, but they don't know how to practice. Then one starts to see the drawbacks in the mind that chases after sense phenomena. One trains the mind not to follow sense impressions, not to get lost in them. This is a beautiful being, a beautiful mind. So a mind that's beautiful like this sees the drawbacks in harming other beings and sees the value, the usefulness in doing goodness practices not hurting, not harming, having virtue, not stealing, but being generous, not killing, but instead but instead releasing animals like crabs or fish or cows due to be slaughtered or turtles. This is cultivating a wholesome habit, cultivating giving and sacrificing, cultivating non-harming, this is something that's not easy to do. You see that some people are born in a rural place, like northeastern Thailand, where Venerable Ajahn Chah lived. And Venerable Ajahn Chah would teach the laity in northeast Thailand not to kill, not to harm. Sometimes people were quite lost or deluded. They thought, well, if I don't kill the crabs or fish, then what am I going to eat? What am I going to offer to the monks? Am I just supposed to offer plain rice and, or eat plain rice? And they would ask Ajahn Chah about this. Ajahn Chah would say, go ahead and give it a try. Whoever offers just plain rice, they can come every day and I'll eat just plain rice every day. But there was no one who wanted to do this. No one had the, had the gall to to behave in this way, but Ajahn Chah had the gall to say it. They said it. And then we see that some people, they had this livelihood where they would harm or kill other beings as part of their livelihood. But then some people listening to these Dhamma talks, they would have faith arise in their hearts. For instance, they may have hunted frogs and captured frogs to kill and eat. They would hunt in a group and then separate out the frogs to share at the end. And there was one individual who listened to Ajahn Chah's talks and his job was to 
keep a watch over the frogs that had been captured, that were still alive. And he felt very sad for them, wanted to let them go. He was, he was afraid that his friend would criticize him, yell at him if he did this. And he didn't want to kill them, so on that occasion he broke their legs instead. But as this kept going on and on, he'd contemplate every day about this. Then one day he did let the frogs go, and his friend saw that the frogs were gone, and he figured that it must have been his friend who kept listening to Dhamma talks that let them go. So we see that listening to the Dhamma a lot, this can give rise to virtue. But it's not easy, because if it's our livelihood, then it's hard to let go. But if it's not our livelihood to hurt or kill, then it's easier to do. And some people might think, well, what am I going to eat if I don't kill small animals like fish and so on? Well, we can look at the example of people who make clothing or who sew for their livelihood. They're still able to buy food and they're separate from the act of killing. So when our virtue is ready or full, then we don't hurt, we don't steal, we don't consume drugs or intoxicants. We speak in a straightforward way. And when we have virtue established like this, and we're a kalyana chana, a beautiful mind, this is something we can be proud of. And today is the Lunar Observance Day. So the faithful laity undertake the eight precepts, which is three additional precepts to what one normally observes. And these three additional precepts are for the purpose of abandoning that which is burdensome, that which is busy and agitating. For instance, decorating the physical body, or finding pleasure in sleep and lying down, or using up time and energy, seeking out food in the evening. And therefore we have more time for Dhamma practice. We set our hearts on observing virtue, and the benefit of observing virtue is the arising of peace in samadhi. And samadhi leads to wisdom. And wisdom leads to liberation. We see that this is the benefit of virtue. When a monastic comes to ordain, the preceptor speaks to the benefits of virtue. The benefit is samadhi arising leading to wisdom, leading to liberation. Those of us that have come to practice Dhamma online together like this, we have virtue already, whether the five or the eight precepts. And so virtue might be ready, but mindfulness and samadhi are not a lot. We have patient endurance to control our minds, if people criticize us, or yell at us, then we can patiently endure with that. This is a mind that's beautiful, better than a butojana, one with thick defilements. And a mind with thick defilements, it's like the defilements are afflicting the mind all the time. But really there are periods of time where the mind is bright and unafflicted, 
but someone with thick defilements, the times where the mind is bright or pure are little, so we don't see it. But one who has a beautiful mind, Kalyana Chana, they have more patient endurance, less kilesa than a Bhutojana. And then what do we do at that point? Oh, we cultivate samadhi, this peace and collectedness. Because we don't want greed, aversion, and delusion, we see that these sense impressions arise and the mind habitually chases after them because the mindfulness and wisdom are only a little. So we need to train the mind. We have to have effort, perseverance, striving to build up the strength and energy of the mind to become more. We practice to cultivate goodness, abandon unwholesomeness, and purify the mind. And so we may think in wholesome or unwholesome ways, but in truth there is nothing really there. All these thoughts are not self, they're not me or mine. For instance, giving a Dhamma talk, this Dhamma talk is a conditioned formation of a wholesome type. And it's using the physical body, using these five khandhas, in order to give a Dhamma talk. And then using your five khandhas, you're able to listen to the Dhamma talk. So this is speaking in terms of convention, in terms of self. But in terms of vimuti or liberation, there's no one giving a Dhamma talk. There's no one listening either. It's all empty. When we see it this way, then that's the end of it. It's over. There's no problems to be found. There's no one speaking, no one listening. That's it. That's the end of all our problems. All things are empty. There's no suffering. But at this moment, right now, it's not like that for us. We have the sense of self me, mine, you, and yours. And so given that, we use the sense of self to cultivate goodness, abandon that which is unwholesome, and purify the mind, to cultivate merit, mindfulness, and samadhi, to cultivate this, these qualities of peace and collectedness. And even if there's still a sense of self with our samadhi, uh, never mind about that. Cultivate samadhi first. Make samadhi firmly established. Make mindfulness continuous. And this is what will lead to the arising of wisdom. When we have mindfulness, wisdom, and samadhi like this, then we're able to know phenomena as they arise. And we'll have no, no self arise with it. We'll see that this material form, feeling, perceptions, conditioned formations, consciousness, that really there's no thing there to be found. There's no me or mine. There's no self there. This is the arising of wisdom. And this arises from samadhi. And so we cultivate samadhi for the arising of wisdom. We also contemplate for the sake of the arising of samadhi. For instance, we can contemplate, well, where is the self to be found? We look at our hair, is the hair self? If we take our hair and someone else's hair, 
are they the same or different? If we take our hair and someone else's hair and put it in a box together, are they the same or different? If we put our blood and other people's blood in one container together, are they the same or different? Is there male or female? Is there child or adult? We see that there isn't at all. It's just the natural elements. They're just like the, this breath going in and out, oxygen coming in and out. The oxygen that we use is the same. It's the same natural element of air element, and the same for earth, fire, and water elements. So this is a meditation object we can use to contemplate, to see the four elements in this way. This can bring the mind to peace and collectedness, to samadhi. So may you practice like this, to cultivate mindfulness, samadhi, and wisdom, to see emptiness clearly, to make the mind pure, to go from one with thick defilements to one with a beautiful mind, then one starts to understand this is the path to becoming a ariyachana, a noble being. And a noble being cultivates virtue, collectedness, and wisdom to an even, an even greater degree, to have more strength and energy, more and more. To see everything in the world as impermanent, suffering, and not self. To see that everyone born into the world must separate from all that they love. It's like we're in the middle of a fire, a fire of old age, fire of sickness, and fire of death. And the, these fires are coming at us from all directions. So therefore, with this contemplation, we have the wisdom arise to strive, make effort in our practice, to cultivate mindfulness and samadhi in the present moment, to make our samadhi firmly established, to see clearly. Because when samadhi is firmly established and the defilements are under control, and proliferation arises in the mind, we're able to know that proliferation in time as it arises. So the mind gathers in peace and samadhi, and we contemplate. For instance, we can see that everyone born must die. And then with this contemplation, the mind can become peaceful. And we see that absolutely everything, all beings, there's really no one there. This seeing emptiness, the mind becomes empty. So this is seeing the proliferation of the mind and knowing it in time. This allows the mind to realize emptiness, to understand the Dhamma. We see that these physical bodies are just like robots or automatons. The body is just the body. There's no self there to be found. It's just these natural elements gathered together. And the more we do this, the more the strength of mind increases, the energy increases. In the end, we can see clearly and cross over the flood to Nibbana, which is the change of lineage knowledge, the change of lineage mind, Gotrabhunyana, Gotrabhujita 
This is the mind that feels fullness and purity and brightness. And when this happens and we have faith and effort and energy, we don't get weary or tired of the practice. And this is a very good state. The energy here is very good. We're able to sit and walk, keep practicing without feeling weary of it. And this is something that lay people can do as well. Even if you have a family, you can still contemplate to bring the mind to peace and collectedness. There's no need to abandon your family. So for instance, there is Anattapindaka in the time of the Buddha, Lady Visaka. They realized stream entry and they still had families and still lived as lay people. There were a great many stream enters, particularly in the time of the Buddha, who had families, and they were able to realize stream entry. We see that their minds were higher. So this is something that we can do, we can achieve. We can make our minds higher and higher like this. So we have to cultivate samadhi to an even greater degree. And in the beginning, we have patient endurance, we have effort, we care for our minds, we have loving kindness for one another. When we have a sense of self and we're born into the world, we need the quality of loving kindness to have metta for one another. And we see that those suffering, we have compassion for them and help them according to our ability and energy. And people experiencing good fortune, we practice mudita for them, or feel sympathetic joy for them. And we also reflect that people that are suffering, and they're suffering according to their kama, but we practice not to add to their suffering. Because people in the world very often add on to other people's suffering through criticizing or looking down on. So this is incorrect in terms of sila. So we should see others as ourselves and ourselves as others. We're all in the same family. We're all born into this world the same. We all age, sicken and die all the same. So we're all in the same family together. We all grow old, grow sick, and die. So therefore, may we have metta for one another, practice not hurting each other through actions of body, speech, or mind, but to cultivate the meditation on loving-kindness, to practice loving-kindness for all beings, to practice loving-kindness for those that we love, those that we feel neutral for, that may they be happy, may they be well, may they be free from enmity. Just like the chant, me tancha sabalokasaming, we love all beings just like we love uh, the child in our own womb or our very own child. We have loving kindness for all beings. So may you practice and train in this loving-kindness meditation. This loving-kindness practice helps our sila improve as well, helps our virtue to be stronger. 
to not hurt or harm oneself or others, not to speak harshly, but we practice to have a mind of loving-kindness all the time. Loving-kindness is able to care for our meditation object that we're training in to make it firmly established and firm in the mind and helps our virtue to improve, helps our virtue and samadhi to be firmly established. We see all people, all minds, all beings, all animals, that may they, or all beings, they all wish for happiness and don't want suffering. So therefore, may we have loving kindness for one another. And when we practice loving kindness like this, it can bring our mind to peace, collectedness and unity. And the mind that's gathered together like this is able to know and see clearly, realize freedom, liberation, vimuti. So firstly, we start with the practice of virtue. In the beginning, and this brings our mind to be beautiful minds, kalyanachana. So may you all set your hearts on this. May you grow in dharma, grow in blessings. <laughs> 